started yet i think we're start- <laughs> i think we're starting now. if we had it just got cut <laughs> i think we're starting now so we apparently all made it home safely uh we did we did uh i had uh, my my i don't know soon to be legendary drive it was kind of cool because both directions this year i was twittering to the world and there were actually people listening because i was keep getting replies as as i was traveling so uh, I left uh, on the trip home. I left a, uh, I left a, uh, a, a trail of Twitter crumbs uh, across America or across half isn't of America. It, isn't it dangerous to be typing on a phone while you're driving? Apparently, I, one of the things I was listening to on the radio as I was traveling was some sort of federal government report that concluded that uh, that uh, texting while you're driving is just astoundingly dangerous. And, mean, and naturally, of, you t- naturally, oh you man, I saw that, that headline. It on said, the order of drunk driving and uh, and uh-huh. uh, you know so yeah uh, naturally you tweeted that of course yeah well you know you gotta like you got you gotta spread the word you gotta like be in touch yeah. you gotta, like tell the folks what you're thinking and, Did, uh, didn't okay. a headline go something like twitch who tweet while twabbling uh, toes. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that's what it was. That's just despicable. <laughs> <laughs> so my drive home was basically uneventful, just really, really long. And, I, I taught, I taught, Jackie Tweeter. I have, I think I've said this before, but I have, I've, I've, I've made a resolution. My resolution is that next year I am going to somehow, some way, fly myself to Oshkosh. Uh, so Ooh-oh. I don't know if this is going to be in a plane that I own or a plane that I've borrowed or I don't know what, but I'm not driving myself next year. I'm flying myself next year. Um, uh-huh. So we'll see how that goes. But uh, um, Okay, yeah, just remember, let's see, we need you there by the 23rd. Yeah, I know. We'll work that out. <laughs> work that out. So David, you might, have to, you might have to leave about the same time you would leave if you drove. But that's okay. Airplanes are faster be less transportation, traffic. right? It's a, it's, a, it's a good way to travel, you know. It's um, the best way to travel. That's right. Now, Even David, when you're tweeting. David, the last time I saw you. Let's, let's make sure now that we replace all of our R's with W's tonight. Yeah, let's try to do that, please. <laughs> uh, David, last time I saw you, we were eating the world's junkiest hamburgers. They were awesome. Uh, Culver's. Oh, yeah, Culver's Butter Burgers. Nothing better than wrapping up Bosch than a Butter Burger at Culver's. Uh, now, tell me, you, you apparently know the story behind these Butter Burgers. What is it? Well, the meat is so lean uh-huh. that if they cooked it without adding something on the grill to make it sizzle, uh, they would just cook and get tough and dry. Yeah. So the legend is that they, uh, you know, they put a little butter on that hot griddle where they smashed the burger patties down with the 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 flipper the spatula and that's that the fat in the butter sears the outside and gives them that crunchy texture uh keeps them moist and then they flip it and it's done and it it, it they are tasty mm-hmm. 
Now we don't have Culvers here in the Northeast. Um, I, I, as you, I was driving you can find across, similar things though at places like Freddy's Frozen Custard or Steak no. and Shake. They all no. use this really lean uh, grind of beef, and then they may not all use butter, but they all use a little something to get the same result. And how wide is this culvert? Because I as I was driving across, I think it was like northern Indiana, I was hearing culvers ads on the radio. So it's apparently down there. But uh, do they have culvers in Wichita? No, no. Uh, matter of fact, my only encounter with them has been in, in, in Oshkosh. Okay. Uh, but they may be, you know, a northern Midwest thing, uh, northern Indiana, Illinois, because I've never seen them in southern Indiana where I grew up, where I go back uh, frequently. Or, well, you know, apparently we're going to have to bring Culver's Butterburgers, the same kind of national fame that we brought Line and Google's beer. Uh, you know, maybe they'll they'll start opening franchises all around America if we give them the right kind of shout out. How was your ride home, you David? You got on the uh, on the airlines. How was how did that work for you? <laughs> oh no! <laughs> what happened? Well, other than a significant delay of game, uh, you know the actual connections were uneventful, and the ultimate arrival back at Midcontinent in Wichita was actually a few minutes early. It was several hours behind my originally scheduled arrival, but it was several minutes ahead of the new scheduled arrival that they told me I had when I went to check in. I see. Our, our buddy Rick with our buddy James Winbrandt, uh, they dropped me off at Appleton. I got in line. I already had a boarding pass from checking in online the day before. Uh, this is uh, booked on the soon-to-be non-existent Northwest. Okay. And we're not going to be cruel and use the old nickname for them. Uh, anyway, showed up. All I wanted to do was check my bags and and then go through security, get on the other side of security, and, and have a cup of coffee and wait out the time. This was a little after 1 o'clock for a 2.20 flight. Right. And a nice young lady, very cute, button nose, brown eyes, and as soon as I presented my boarding pass and my ID for my pending flight at 2.20, uh, her face kind of scrunched up and her nose kind of wrinkled like uh, uh, Elizabeth Montgomery on Bewitched, and did, I thought maybe you, she was going to send my bags off. You know, did, did you hear a, a rubber? Did you hear a rubber glove snap in the background about this time? <laughs> no, but a few seconds later, I did hear that magic hammer that used to hit Wiley e. Coyote go spoing. <laughs> and she looked up and she goes, uh, "Yes, sir, Mister Higdon, uh, the, your flight number has been changed. Uh-oh. My flight number has been changed." Uh, yeah, That's your flight a- number's been changed, and you're now booked on a 650 leaving Ouch. from Minneapolis, changing planes and going direct to Wichita, huh. which meant that I got to avoid uh, – I was actually looking forward to barbecue in Memphis on my second connection of the day because the routing was Minneapolis-Memphis-Wichita. So I missed out on barbecue. I don't even want to know about that. And, and I got home several hours later than originally expected, but the bag showed up. Uh, so, you know, I'm going to call it, uh, considering the experience up was seamless and everything was early, no hassle. Uh, all my IDs worked, no special designation, no finger checks, no anal probe, and no Vaseline applications. That It was about uh, 60%, you know, cool. I, you know, I, you know, we. So, we, what was the total time of your total evolution from uh, being 
from arriving at the Appleton Airport to arriving at the Wichita Airport? Oh, well, uh, that was about 10 hours, except I didn't stay at the Appleton Airport. Uh, I, uh, you know, use this modern technology people of kind of what wrapped me into called a cell phone. Got oh, a yeah. Rick, who was a few miles away. That. Rick came back, picked me up, and then we motored on to what he and James had originally planned for the afternoon. Which was a little floating and cruising in his powerboat oh. out of his lake house. Ah. Well, there so was that ate up several hours. Silver lining to this cloud, huh? Oh, that's good. That's well, I good. mean, if you're going to be stuck someplace, best be stuck on a boat with some friends and some cold sodas on a nice, warm, cloudy afternoon cruising this this uh, really interesting stretch of river uh, and going past a, a couple of lakes and uh, seeing a lot of other nummies out you know, consuming fossil fuels and waving and looking at a lot of places where seaplanes would be really cool. Seaplanes. <laughs> seaplanes. 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 He said, he said seaplanes. Yeah, I know. We'll come back. Maybe we'll come back to that. Uh, so, I, you know, I just want to say that, I, I, you know, we don't have an awful lot of love lost for the airlines uh, in terms of their performance sometimes, but it just seems like Everybody had problems either going to, from, or both uh, Air Venture this year who took the airlines. I heard horror stories about people. I don't think I heard anybody who had uh, a, a, an uneventful flight to or from. It's really amazing. I, well, and, and, and to be fair, usually uh, the airlines, the last two or three years, where the airlines have done their most damage to me has been on the holiday trips. Uh, you know, a, I'm sorry, you can't get there tonight. Uh, oh, we can get you to Chicago. Uh, or uh, like they did with Annie. Uh, you might as well go home and come back tomorrow. Mm. Jeez. Uh, so Ouch. we've had we've had a running string of those. And we make copious notes, and they all go in a little folder. So when the moment, of time, when the moment arrives to, to discuss an, a, getting another airplane... I'm dragging them all out. And <laughs> it's so, in so minute, I, painful detail. Yeah. Okay, let's 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 let me ask the question differently. Then, from the time you arrived at the Appleton Airport the second time to the time <laughs> you arrived at the Wichita Airport, how many hours elapsed? Six hours. Okay. Okay. So, Jeb, you are, I think what you're getting at here is uh, you are, of course, the only one who took a civilized means of transportation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that is that you got to the debonair and uh, flew, uh, you actually made it nonstop to Melbourne, Florida, right? That's right. Appleton to uh, uh, Melbourne, Florida, nonstop. Uh, FlightAware says I think six hours and seventeen minutes. Yeah. Now I was looking at the FlightAware track. You, that you kind of left Appleton. You you seem to go like sort of over the Oshkosh area, out over the lake, down <coughs> sort of a beam Chicago, right. where they gave you a little bit of a turn, and then you seem uh -huh. to go almost direct Melbourne from there. Basically, did um, the Chicago airspace? Um, they didn't want me in being IFR, so they sent me out over the lake a little bit more. No big deal. Uh, once I made that little jog, it was you know clear direct Melbourne. Mm -hmm. um, the weather uh, cooperated uh, um, very nicely. There was a bunch of thunderstorms in the southeast, uh, starting uh, actually just south of Athens, Georgia, and continuing pretty much uh, all the way to Melbourne. But 
Um, they were very easy to circumnavigate. There were two lines of them, basically a line parallel to my course, and I just went between them. Maybe 100 miles separated them. Uh, no issues whatsoever. A little bit IFR, but uh, you know, mainly just you know, slamming into some CUs and slamming out the other side. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it was a very easy flight. I landed with about 25 gallons on board, which uh, at cruise is an uh, um, hour and a half, close to two hours. I was going to say, that's pushing two hours Yeah, from my memories of flying with yeah. you. Yeah, 13. I was burning about, at that, I was flying at uh, mainly 9,000 feet and burning about 13.1, 13.2 gallons an hour. Yeah. And making what, about <laughs> 170? Uh, truing, um, uh, 169, 170 is, uh, knots, uh, uh, is, is exactly right. Started out with a nice little tailwind. We were doing, at one point, we are doing Man, 190. That, that's, yeah. that's just bloody great. I mean, that's yeah. Mooney fuel efficiency, dude. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. It, we started out, you know, had maybe 190 over the ground at one point, and it settled down to, you know, 180, and then it started trending down. It, it ended up around 155. Uh, with a slight headwind, and I can accept 155. I don't have any issues with that at all. Yeah. Well, and now, it's always nice when it's kind of 50-50, you know? Yeah, It kind yeah. of averages out to be a no-win trip. Right. Uh-huh. Now, it was, it was after you dropped off uh, uh, Dave Allen, uh, your passenger, uh-huh. in Melbourne, uh, that uh-huh. from my perspective, the trip got interesting, all right? <laughs> well, we were watching. Pers- we were all watching. From my perspective, I didn't, I didn't notice anything. Yes, well, uh, here's what I saw. All right, here's what I saw, because you got a little bit of a late start, but because it's Jeb, all right? And uh, you didn't get to, uh, to hey, Melbourne. And you just did six hours and 17 minutes. Get no, no, I mean, the over, overall for the day, you didn't get overall it. Overall for the day. No, so exactly you were in Melbourne there, a little bit of a story behind that, but go ahead. Okay, so you're in Melbourne a little bit late. Uh, uh-huh. You do your thing in Melbourne. You launch out of Melbourne, and from the track, um, there was a, apparently some weather on the direct line between Melbourne and right. Hidden River. So the what same, they what they the did same was weather that I dealt with you know, getting into Melbourne was still there. Right. And in fact, there was a cell uh, down around um, I don't know, kind of between Orlando and Sebring. Right. That uh, was more or less along the track that I did not want to go through. Right. So what what you did, and I don't know whether this was your choice or whether ATC put you this way, but you flew down the coast of Florida a little ways in order to get around this weather. Then you made a right turn and you basically went straight across the Florida Peninsula, straight line towards Hidden River. That right. sounds good. All right. So I'm watching you on flight or you know, rooting for you to kind of finally make it home because it's getting late in the day and I know you must be tired even though you made a good time. So you're, 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 you're like motoring across Florida. All right. And then all of a sudden your, your track, your little yellow line on flight aware reaches Hidden River and then just kind of continues on past it. <laughs> okay. And, and the last time I looked, your track was like halfway to the ocean beyond uh-huh. Hidden River. And I'm uh-huh. sitting there in my little hotel room looking at my little computer screen going, <laughs> He did not fall asleep. He did not fall asleep. He did not fall asleep. All right. You know, thinking I could just see the headlines now. You know, it's kind of like, you know, noted aviation podcaster, in, <laughs> you know, flies out over the Gulf. Yeah. F-16. I'm, I'm sure that's you know? going to be the lead. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but apparently this was an aberration of uh, flight aware because you say yeah, you reached lo- Hidden River. A, yeah, there are a lot of aberrations in flight aware. Uh, just going back and looking um, at the 10 days or so of flying that I did, um, uh, not all of it was, was completely accurate. Um, I, I don't have an explanation except maybe to suggest, and in looking at, at flight aware, I think they might have misplaced Hidden River. Ah, 
Okay. Not all because, airports are in their database, baby. Well, that's true on one level, but on another level, um, Hidden River is only about um, ten nautical, maybe maybe twelve from the Gulf. Yeah. Okay. And in looking at the the hidden, I mean, looking at the FlightAware uh, presentation, it looks like it's further inland. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I don't well, know. All I, can, it. all I can tell you is. Coming out of out of Melbourne, they cleared me to. Uh, of, uh, initially, they cleared me to an intersection. Uh, I, I don't even know if it's an intersection or not. It was a radial and a DME fix off of the Melbourne Vortac. And um, you know, as soon as uh, as soon as I got up and started talking to Miami, they said, "Well, just you know, fly fly down the peninsula there." Well, I don't forget what the heading was. But basically, just paralleled the coast until I got far enough south that they went ahead and turned me and went direct Hidden River. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I went past it only uh, to shoot the pattern. Mm-hmm. Uh, I made a left downwind approach. Um, I, I think I, it has something per- to do with their refresh cycle. Well, I think that's a lot of it, too. By this time, yeah. I was squawking 1,200 and um, buzzed. Uh, um, we have a lot of wildlife down here, as, as Dave clearly knows. So I wanted to make sure there weren't any deer or other critters out on the runway before I tried to land. So I made a low pass with the lights on and, and everything else. Of course, this is 11 o'clock at night, so I'm sure the neighbors were happy about that. <laughs> particularly <laughs> oh, those really? people down at the end of the runway. <laughs> well, particularly, particularly the people at the end of the runway, me, who wasn't home yet. So, um, But Lynn, across the street, uh, actually came out. She, she was kind of uh, curious and, and uh, whatnot and had been watching on Flight Aware also. And so she comes out um, with a walkie-talkie, and she's talking to me on a handheld, talking to me on the handheld, and say, "Yeah, I'm just doing a little pass here to make sure there's no critters out here." She said, "Yeah, I said I'm I'm looking for those too," and it was all nice and clear, and uh, uh, made another circuit around the pattern, and and uh, banged the the tires onto the runway, and, and taxied into the home. So mm-hmm. um, uh, the reason I got out of one of the reasons I got out of Appleton so late. Um, I, just in in the rush to uh, to get moving and headed in that direction, and everything took a little bit of a wrong. I took the wrong exit off of forty one. I exited oh, okay. too soon. I see, and right. got got twisted around a little bit. And I finally figured out my bearings and started making progress towards the airport. And it comes zooming around a corner, and there's one of Appleton's finest sitting in his patrol car, really, um, with his radar gun, and. Um, um, sure enough, you know, I slam on the brakes in this little uh, copper rental car I had and um, uh, go cruising by him. And sure enough, he pulls out and, and hits the lights and, and I pull over. And, um, he, you know, he, I, he walks up to the window and, and, and uh, says, Officer, uh, you know, here's, it's a rental car. You know, do you need my driver's license? He says, you're not from around here, are you? <laughs> now, that's a lucky guess. I, I said, no, sir, I'm not. He says, let me guess. You're from out of town. You're trying to get to the airport, and you're running late, and you're, and you're driving a little bit faster than you should. I said, officer, you're exactly correct. He says, well, do you know where the airport is from here? I said, yes, sir. He says, well, drive safely, uh, drive a little bit more slowly, and have a nice day. Oh, well, and right. I was I was flabbergasted because he is he had, he said he clocked me in forty six and a thirty five, um, and I, now, I was you'd like, already slowed down some. I'd already hit the brakes, um, <laughs> <laughs> so 
I, you know, a little, he says you're going a little faster than you should. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, you know, I, I fed the gerbil before I uh, uh, got in the car that day, so I, the gerbil had a little bit more oomph in it. I was but, wondering uh, where did you keep the key to wind that thing up? Yeah, no, because I was thinking, I, it, I'm thinking the officer's going to walk up to your car and go, go, son, you know, where you're from? <laughs> they call this a car. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's that's a strong possibility. But anyway, I was like, you know, uh, thank you. Um, um, <laughs> did did you happen to notice I, I, the tags I'll on be, that car? No, I did not. Why? They're what not about from it? Wisconsin. Where were they from? Illinois. Oh, oh well, okay. well, all right. Illinois is just down the street. But uh, anyway, <laughs> well, I mean, it's well, kind of a that's, kind of a quick chip off. That's no probably you. you're why, not from you know. around here, are you? Sir? <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, so we all made it home safely, uh, and uh, we all had a good week. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Assuming we haven't completely used up our time by now, um, but let me jump in here and say, welcome, folks, to uh, episode <laughs> 148 of Uncontrolled oh, I Airspace, lost that bet. the General Aviation Podcast. We're recording this episode on Thursday, August 6, 2009. And uh, joining me here in the virtual hangar are two of my friends. First of all, Jeb Burnside, uh, Speed Burnside, talking to us from somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How you doing, Jeb? I am finer than frog fur. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, just, just happy to be home. I've, I finally uh, uh, caught up on my sleep and my rest. Uh, my feet have stopped hurting. Um, the sun I picked up has kind of turned into a tan. Um, the airplane is still flyable. Uh, I can fly it again after the landing here, and uh, uh, all is right with the world. Yeah. Now, answer me a question here. So when yeah. you lived in uh, in Virginia and you mm-hmm. operated in out of Manassas, from the time that you turned off the engine, you taxied up to your hangar, and you shut down the engine, all right, how long would it take you to get <laughs> to your home? Approximately. Figure an hour. An hour. To, okay. to uh, open the hangar. Push the airplane in it, uh, close the hangar door, uh, unload the airplane. I know, I, let, let me stop. Open the hangar door, pull a car out. Yep. Uh, move the car, uh, unload the airplane uh, a little bit maybe, uh, push the airplane in the hangar, which was um, very problematic if there was snow or ice on the ramp in front of the hangar because it was a slight uphill grade. And I have seen uh, powered uh, tow machines uh, struggle Right. Trying to get the airplane okay. back in the hangar. So the we get the point here. So, but here's my real question, yeah. right? So yeah. Sunday night when you uh-huh. returned home uh, from from Oshkosh, right. how long did it take you from the time you shut down the engine to the time that you walked into your home? About two minutes. <laughs> long enough to grab my grab what I needed for the night. And, um, uh, and just leave everything else and shut the door. I, I, I even left the airplane sitting out. Uh-huh. Uh, get uh, out. Not be- Seriously, I let, just left it sitting in the front yard uh, because um, I was too tired to mess with it. Yeah, that's, that's just such a seriously I, nice sound. That just left the airplane sitting in the front yard. Yeah. <laughs> hey, also joining me yes. here. Also joining me. me. It really sucks to be me. Also joining us here in the virtual hangar is Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How are you doing? Oh, uh, really well, really well. <laughs> yeah, see, Dave, uh, Jeb stole your little thing there. What are you? I, I was wondering what you were going to say. I was afraid of what you might come up with. Nee, but, uh, nee, nee, nee. <laughs> so you made well, it home you know, safely, it, and it, uh, it, it's one of my high ambitions and long time dreams uh, to 
to uh, live someplace where I can walk from the hangar to the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, although leaving the airplane in the front yard was just a concept that never quite bloomed in my head. But now that I'm thinking about it, I'm thinking that's yeah. even that's even cooler. I just it's- left the plane in the front yard. <laughs> and I am Jack Hodgson, and I am also have also made it home. I'm talking to you from uh, the home office in Dover, New Hampshire. And there is uh, no Jack H like our Jack H. Where uh, it's become seriously summer since I was gone. Uh, prior to leaving for Oshkosh, we've been having this bizarre, chilly uh, uh, spring summer, and uh, it's definitely turned hot and humid since uh, since while I was away. So uh, so all is right with the world. Um, and uh, been home for a couple of days from Oshkosh, and um, a couple, give me a couple more days, and I'll be ready to turn around and go back again. So, yeah. uh, unfortunately, not going to be able hey, to do it. Right it, now, it, it won't 50, be that long. It's only 50.5 weeks until Oshkosh 2010. Yeah, yeah. Hey, let's just talk about, uh, we, we talked a lot about our, our impressions and so forth of, uh, of AirVenture this year uh, and last episode, the one we did from the grounds. Um, but, you know, kind of now that we've had a chance to catch our breath, let's talk a little bit more about it. Um, the numbers are in. Um, we thought it was a good year, and it turns out that it really was. Uh, David, you want to summarize these for us? Well, uh, just just to skim the surface, uh, the official report that came from the Experimental Aircraft Association if, uh, a day after or two days after, I think two days after the last day, uh, 578,000 people. That was up about 12%, they said, officially. Uh, 2,652 show planes. Uh, more than 10,000, and that's kind of their stock. To my mind, that's become kind of their stock report on the fly-ins because yeah, it's generally yeah. pretty safe if you take in the folks who fly into Whitman Regional, where the showgrounds, and those that fly into, like Jeb did this year, uh, Appleton or others who fly into Fond du Lac to the south. Uh, I'm not sure, however... That the 578k and the more than 10,000 actually comes up to fully reflect what we saw. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's. I, 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 this is just me, but I've talked to some others in the last couple of days who were there, like we were, who saw the same overcrowding in aircraft parking, the same longer tenure of campers in several areas that heard the stories about the expansion of Camp Schaller, the uh, work to find additional car park space, create additional car park space, uh, the closure of the North 40 and South Acres aircraft camping on opening day, the harvesting of new areas, and then the reclosing of those later in the week because they were full, uh, the, the how full the aircraft parking and campgrounds were still at the end of business on Friday. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you know, if and someone I, wants I, to, I think these numbers are, are are highly conservative. If you want, if someone wants to actually see this, who wasn't there, um, I recommend them to uh, a video that Avweb put out that I just saw today. I'm not sure when it came out. Um, just the one this, to make the, the the pattern, the flyovers. Yeah, um, yeah they did they like two, two or three yeah. passes um, over yeah. the uh, grounds um, with a camera just aimed towards the ground, and uh, uh, it was it was first of all, it's cool to just see the grounds that way. But I, I'm not sure when they shot that video, but it, it must have been at the height of the crowds because um, I, I the, can tell you one of them was after the 380 arrived because yeah. as they uh, approached 36 to land. 
you can see these big, ugly, jagged skid marks. <laughs> another yeah. story. Oh, yeah, another story. But uh, another flying story over for another day. flying over the grounds, uh, uh, you could see that uh, that all of airplane parking, you know, the show show plane parking was full. Um, they did one pass where they came in um, from the lake uh, uh, along uh, uh, runway two seven, and you could see they actually had airplane camping, GA airplane camping, way down on the far side of the airplane terminal. Which oh, you know, just, if they had a gate there, you could walk to Artie and Ed's from the Yeah, I know, sites. yeah. Um, it could be the other four blocks. The other really impressive shot in that sequence was um, the shot of Camp Scholler, which was truly full. I mean, there were... Can't, there were, you know, RVs and tents and what, all the way out to the highway, all the way off to both sides. It was, it was really full, and we saw that on the ground. But there's a great, it's, this video is a great illustration of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's such a contrast from 2008, 2007, when we knew things were off a little bit in terms of attendance, and the numbers they reported reflected that. Uh, you know, 2007 was down a little bit from prior. 08 was down noticeably more, and that was at the height of the uh, petroleum fuel <clears throat> abuse. I'm going to stay away from the word that popped into my brain uh, of of the summer of 08 and this summer's fuel prices, cars and airplanes seem relatively reasonable compared to what we were paying 12, 13 months ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just there was a noticeable change in the commercial areas, very obvious absentees in some areas, uh, yeah. mostly brought about by business failures, some brought about by making a different decision. But in terms of the citizens, uh, man, it's been a long time, a decade or more since I saw that kind of people on the grounds. Yeah, yeah and, it was good. And, and, and 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 that year was almost impossible to move around in certain areas. Mm-hmm. And this year it was almost impossible to move around. Uh, I'm, I made the mistake of grabbing a golf cart at one point. I think Saturday, and um, was was uh, um, surprised at how difficult it was to maneuver without running over people. And yeah. eventually, just par- just parked the cart and got back on foot. Um, did you get pulled over by the cops that time too? I did not get pulled over by the cops that time. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny though. I I knock wood or, or pound whatever. Um, I haven't had a moving violation in almost thirty years, so I mean, I'm, maybe I'm overdue. And that was kind of basically what it was, went on my mind was on my mind when that guy pulled me over. That, but it was as nice as he could be, and and you know, credit to the area for yeah, you know. That's great. That's well, great. And, you know, you. you you were obviously, I imagine, you were already, it was already apparent to him you were slowing down. Yeah. Uh, second, what a long shot lucky guess that he figured out you were from out of town. Because <laughs> there weren't all that many outsiders in town. I mean, 578,000 people right. in the area. That's right. Yeah. Following uh, up on a, on a couple driving of... a car with Illinois tag, and right. you're not from around here, are you? Yeah. I just love it. Following up on a couple of, uh, of Oshkosh Air Venture stories here that uh, I just sort of caught my attention. None of them very big, but uh, um, actually this one's a little big. I, I shouldn't say that. This one is a little big, uh, and this is the one. Uh, it was a big announcement during the week that uh, EAA and AOPA uh, have, well, they're basically they're on Facebook and they've friended each other. That's, and, that's uh, right. That's right. Uh, they've announced BFFs to the world. Now. 
Yeah, they have announced to the world that they are friends, and uh, I, I applaud this. I shouldn't make light of it. All right, this is awesome. Um, I am a, a loyal and devoted member of both of these organizations. I think uh-huh. they're both excellent organizations, um, and it's always troubled me a little bit that there always, well, I wouldn't call it friction, there was just sort of a distance between these two organizations, it seemed to me anyways. And uh, and so I applaud um, them stepping forward and saying, listen, we're doing the same thing, and we need to be side by side. And um, So they signed a, let's see, I had the story here. Uh, they, they, I, I'm not sure what this really means, having said all this. I think it's a great concept. But they signed a memorandum of understanding to invigorate cooperation and collaboration between the two organizations. And uh, uh, Tom well, Bobrezny and Craig Fuller were best buds uh, uh, during the week, and uh, Tom giving him rides around in uh, in uh, Red Three, and uh, um, it's well, a good thing. I, it's a good thing. I commend I commend both of them. Uh, it, it it really marks a little bit of evolution in both organizations. Uh, but at the end of the day, Tom's got a quote here, and this was one of the stories that came through our Air Venture Today paper. Uh, and I'll quote Tom here real quickly: the, "This document is important, but it's a piece of paper." Paul Resney said, "We can talk the talk, but we have to walk the walk." You, the members of our organizations, have told us that your expectation that we put this into action, we can and we will. Uh, I think that this kind of uh, collaboration is past due, not just between AOPA and EAA. We've seen more of it between NBAA and Gamma in the last few years. Uh, we're starting to see more of it across the uh, across the alphabet community. Uh, too often it was a contest to see who got most credit for whatever progress might happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and behind the scenes, sometimes there were little parochial areas that rightfully should be recognized, but at the end of the day should be and accommodated as much as possible. But at the end of the day, it's the, what the overall community benefits from that will benefit everybody. So uh, I want to see them. I want to see him uh, walk the walk. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. Yeah. Jeb, anything you want to add to that? Well, on one level, um, you know, t- two or three things. Uh, one, yeah, more power to him. Congratulations. Um, long overdue, et cetera, et cetera. And we, we, we all, I think, look forward to the fruits of this relationship, shall we say. Uh, on another level, uh, this is something that um, really AOPA and EAA have been doing all along. Um, I've said in numerous meetings, uh, wearing a hat for one association or another, where um, AOPA and EAA were both present, had representatives both present, and you know, 100% with the program. Um, so that's not new either. Um, what's new, I guess, is the formalization of this. Um, I guess the third thing is... Um, I don't know that it will have a material impact. Um, yeah, uh, you know, one shop or another might have a, or one, I should say, one organization or another might have a better PR operation or might be quicker on the draw to um, uh, put out a press release or, or get some visibility for one thing or another. Um, that's, that goes with the territory. It's, it's, it's inside baseball in Washington in the alphabet soup. And, uh, you know, you get up the next morning and you, and you, you go, uh, you lick your wounds and you go do it again. Big mm-hmm. deal. Um, <clears throat> I, I'm optimistic, 
uh, a little skeptical, uh, but optimistic that it will bear fruit. Um, I don't know what kind of fruit it will bear because, again, EAA's interests and AOPA's interests, um, more likely than not, will coincide on a specific issue. Um, whether down the road uh, we, we might be looking at some kind of a, um, a merger or uh, uh, something more formal in the way of uh, uh, sharing uh, responsibilities or sharing, uh, um, I don't know, um, uh, members perhaps even, uh, I think is, is uh, way out of left field mm-hmm. uh, and way, way unknown at this time. Um, I wonder, though, also, um, you know, how much of that is uh, Fuller-driven, how much of that is Poberezny-driven. Um, um, I, I, th- I believe I have seen similar moves, uh, similar um, uh, uh, statements or, or similar announcements uh, involving AOPA and some of the other alphabet soup, all of which is is really nice and, and handy and, and and good and and non-fattening and and, and uh, moral. <laughs> but uh, um, this is stuff that you know they should have been doing all along, uh, and and in fact have been doing all along informally. This is just a formalization of all of that. And uh, I, I'm just well, kind of yeah. scratch. I'm just one, one one final thought. I'm just kind of scratching my head. Um, trying to figure out why now, other than than Fuller's presence at AOPA, and I don't have an answer. I think it goes part and parcel with Mr. Fuller's general approach to trying to change the tone and tenor of how AOPA operates and how it's perceived. Uh, in comparison to the prior two presidents' atmosphere and attitudes. And that's not taking away anything from either of those gentlemen because they were both highly effective in their own ways. Oh, that's that's exactly where I was going to head in response. Both Baker and Boyer have different styles. Uh Um, um, We could debate their effectiveness... Uh, with those styles, and and that would probably you know get us banned from a variety well, we, of locations. We in know the future. that some parts of it worked. We know that some parts of it didn't for both yeah. gentlemen. Right. But Fuller uh, has more in common with Baker uh, coming into this office in that he's a more of a Washington insider than Phil was when he came in. Uh, I think he looks at the. Uh, the Washington system in a different way and looks at uniting AOPA's membership and, 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 and help from EAA and Gamma and MBAA, whoever else can get on board, to move things more so that it takes less grassroots uh, activism, adversarial uh, encounters, yeah. uh, make it less argumentative, and freeze it more so that it actually doesn't wind up being a partial solution that we keep battling again and again and again. Whether yeah. that'll be effective, uh, yeah. man, that, that's, that's beyond yeah. my pay grade. 
I, I, I follow what you're saying, and, and I don't disagree with it. Uh, I, I would certainly be optimistic in those areas also. I guess my only point, or one point, would be that um, in the past, um, all someone in one association would have to do to coordinate with the other one is pick up the phone and say, can we do this, can we do that, can we do the other thing? And invariably, um, the answer would normally be yes, and the, you know the, the message would be coordinated and the buttons would be pushed to send out whatever I, needed to be sent to the you're, members. You're absolutely right. I think where I come down a little differently is that I'm not sure that phone call was made at all of times when it could have been. Yeah. So that it's a good thing. times when an organization decided that it had some capital to gain by being lead and took lead and did fairly well by it. Well, I, I don't think that that mode or that model is going to be broken. I think you're still going to see one organization or another of these two take the lead um, in various things because the idea of trying to coordinate beforehand every oh, yeah. single thing that these remember, relatively remember large organizations that the, do. All they had to do was pick up the phone. I'm right. saying that there were times when all they had to do was pick up the phone and consciously decided that that wasn't, that would have been helpful to the interest of the issue, but not necessarily the best thing in the interest of the association. At I, I understand. I understand. Yeah. So listen, this is a good thing. Um, it does have a lot of ramifications. That's thing. pretty yeah. interesting. But it's a good thing, and especially in these de- these days, all of us in GA need to work together as much as we possibly can because uh, we got stuff we need to deal with. First um, and foremost, we're pilots who use the airspace, and the number and who who's you know who's on our membership cards transcend doesn't transcend that. It, it's the opposite. Yeah, but I fly IFR, and those those silly guys in those little plastic home-built airplanes, they don't matter. <laughs> hey, uh, so there was a story in uh, in our favorite aviation publication, Wired Magazine. Uh, this uh, uh, Actually, was it in the magazine or just on their website? I, haven't, I, I don't, don't know. I haven't seen it in the magazine. Yeah. I haven't, I've got the current issue. But it's I, a nice... I kinda, I, I kind of think it wasn't in the magazine because yeah. it's got some multimedia associated with it. But it's a it's a nice piece. I like it. Um, it's written by someone who gets it. I think uh, it, it, it's a, it's a story about the operation of, at the Oshkosh Air Traffic Control Tower, which is a story that those of us who attend Oshkosh and kind of follow things like this, it's a fairly familiar story to us. We've seen this one written a number of different times. I, I some it was of us are even decent. and and yeah. it covered the tower. It covered the uh, operation out at uh, out at uh, 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 Fisk. And, uh, you know, pretty much the whole, they wrapped up the whole thing yeah, in a pretty did, good bubble. Did a nice job with it. Uh, the uh, writer's name is, sorry, I'm searching for it, uh, Jason Power, P- Paul, P-A-U-R. Uh, Jason and Jason did a nice job of the story, uh, and uh, we we appreciate that. To get the word out to the, uh, more of a mainstream audience. I particularly liked the uh, the little snippet of audio at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah. He uh, he ran his recorder. Uh, unlike some of these snippets where you actually hear the radio feed, um, we, he actually just ran the, the recorder in the tower cab, so you yeah. heard multiple voices, and it was it was an interesting perspective. He was clearly close to one particular station, so you heard one particular control more than the others but in the background you could hear others talking too and it was interesting to hear that you know get get a better sense of of how 
the word is not chaotic, but but how how busy it is up there, how much is going on. I, I, I would call it a controlled chaos. Yeah, um, and so that was interesting. But but the thing that really made me realize, I'm listening to this and I'm going, oh, I hope I hope what I want to happen happens, and it did. And that is, he ended the snippet at a moment when the controller said on the radio to an arriving airplane, "Welcome to Oshkosh." And to me, that's that's yeah. a that's that you know that's a mo- me. I just got goosebumps. Uh, it, me, me, me too. Uh, yeah. and, uh, and and you know, and you she get a, every now and then you'll get a nice job, you know, at a boy, a welcome to Oshkosh, something like that. That, <clears throat> um, yeah. Yeah, the fact that's, that the, that's, that's the fact that they knew to end that snippet with "Welcome to Oshkosh" says that they get it, and so that's a nice piece. I urge people to take to, Jay, to give it a Jason read. Jason Power and, and, uh, is the the author of the, of the piece. Yeah, he did a yeah. really nice job. Yeah, the, the photo the photo and the map that they put on the site, the Oshkosh Airport notes on the web page for this mm-hmm. that shows nine two seven one eight three six left and right, and the layout of the dots. Right, and if anybody goes back and listens to the tower uh, chatter for either runway, it really adds some perspective to the that guy working uh, that guy working runway nine. Is said, okay, sir? I need you to land long down on the orange dot, uh, Cessna behind that green dot, please. Uh, the Aronco white dot, turn off as immediately if you can. Okay, Mooney behind it here. You rock your wings if you hear me. I'm going to have you down on the orange dot today. Uh, 182. Do you think you can make it down by the white dot? Okay, thank you. All right, everybody going fine here. Going on, going on. That's very good, David. I like that. That was that's, very. That's pretty good too. We'll yeah. get you a pink shirt next year. Yeah, really, get you a pink shirt. Uh, not <laughs> no, really no, no, the tower, I can add but the, that put binoculars in my hand and I go. Yeah. One last of protoplasm. That's right. One last Oshkosh-related story on my list, and and not really, only vaguely related. So the A380, the the Airbus A380 was there. Here we go. I saw one. At, no, no, no. I'm not going to go back to that because that's just you know it did what it did. It was a landing. We all have good ones. We all have bad ones. Um, no, no. This was a story. This was a, a, a story earlier when it was arriving. So the 380 came oh, yeah. from wherever Europe, someplace. All right, and it landed. And they in left Milwaukee. Toulouse, France, for Milwaukee. Right, and they landed in Milwaukee like the day before or two days before. All right, and then they and they were holding down there, um, waiting to make the big arrival into Oshkosh, bigger than they expected, as it turned out. But they so they were waiting down Milwaukee. The interesting thing was that there was a bit a snippet in this story that, and here's the quote: It says because so what happened was everybody who came over on the Airbus couldn't continue on the Airbus into Oshkosh. Some of them had to get in cars and buses and whatever uh, boats and planes to come up. Otherwise, the quote is. Because Airbus isn't an airline, the A380 cannot transport non-essential staff or passengers between two airports. All right. Can somebody explain this to me? All right. I mean, it's a private airplane. Well, Why can't they that, take whatever that, passengers that, they a, want? That's a mistaken. That's a mistaken uh, uh, interpretation. Oh, okay. Of what's yeah, going I agree. On here. I agree. So what? Um, why did they did they in fact transport people by ground? Um, and if so, why? Well, they did transport people by ground. Uh, and the uh, this is a flight test airplane. Yeah. Uh, it is not a type. It does not have a normal type certificate. So the way it was explained to me by one of the gentlemen that I met from uh, Airbus uh, was that the people who came over from Toulouse to Milwaukee, that was a nonstop, by the way, were designated as part of the essential crew for that mission. Uh, and that would have been a Part 91 flight, uh, mm-hmm. 
But once they landed here, because of the type of certificate, <clears throat> type certificate they have, uh, because they couldn't designate this as a test mission from Milwaukee to Oshkosh, uh, you know, that kind of flight into Oshkosh is generally frowned on. Uh, the non-essential personnel were required to come by car. Uh, now, if, it had been, if that had been an airplane that they were going to deliver to one of their airline customers with the with the, the the regular type certificate, they could have all come all the way into into Oshkosh, no sweat, no strain. Part ninety one. I, I don't understand. I, I, why I, I understand. Didn't. I understand the distinction between type certificates, and I think you're you're probably ninety nine percent correct here. I don't understand the distinction between being able to fly into Milwaukee and not being able to fly on to exactly. Oshkosh from Milwaukee yes. with those people on board. And I think herein uh, is the is the issue. I think um, because it um, is a foreign registered aircraft with uh, you know kind of a funky type certificate on it. I think we get into an issue called cabotage, uh, where um, um, yeah, but there's no cabotage on Part 91. That's a non-commercial flight. <clears throat> yeah, you're you're right. You're, I scratched that. You're exactly right. What the you're heck? Exactly. I, I, I flew. I flew on a uh, uh, on a 121 airplane from Toronto to Le Bourget one year for the Paris Air Show. Uh-huh. We operated as a Part 91 flight. We went wherever we needed to and landed wherever we needed to on the way over and back. Mm-hmm. But th- that was possible because the airplane was operating under a type certificate standard for its category. Okay. Uh, I've been on aircraft where I was there to perform a uh, pilot flight report where because of the type certificate nature on the airplane, I had to be briefed and designated as essential flight test crew and then actually take data and write it down on a sheet of paper during part of the flight to fulfill the letter and the spirit <laughs> okay. of the regulations. No, I'm serious. Yeah, no, I believe you. I, I was guess... a data collector who part of the trip flew the airplane. I'm, okay. I'm, I'm just restraining myself physically here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Me too. I'm sorry. Just define this cabotage. This is like a meal. It's corned beef and cabotage. No, what the okay. heck is cabotage? Cabotage. Go ahead, Dave. No, go ahead. Do it. No, cabotage, my understanding... No, you cabotage, tell us. No, you tell them. No, you tell them. Do well, I ever really know what this is? My understanding of is, is uh, international rules and, and, and uh, uh, national uh, rules, laws, prevent... Um, and Dave, Dave's correct in, in pointing out um, the difference here, but prevent a, a carrier from, well, from another country from conducting domestic um, service within another country... Um, without uh, special permission. Right. In other words, in other words, if I am uh, a French airline and I want to serve Milwaukee, St. Louis, and um, uh, New York, for example, I can't fly to New York and then fly to Milwaukee and then fly to St. Louis uh, and and provide domestic service between those cities. I see. Okay. Without special permission. Anyways, it was very cool Bingo. to see the 380. Boy, you nailed it right on the nose. It was very cool to see the 380. All of the uh, odd controversies aside, uh, we really appreciate Airbus going uh, to the effort. And, uh, odd and controversy. I don't look at it as controversy. I look at it as a bunch of guys that think they could do better, but that's just <laughs> Well, I don't, I don't disagree. That was an ugly landing, though. I'm not saying I could land any better, but uh, I'm not the test pilot either. 
It didn't hurt the airplane. It was within it, spec. It, uh, it was barely within spec. Yeah. And that airplane leaves a ton of rubber every time it touches down. Yeah. 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 Well, and that's and the last of, might be exactly correct. That's the last of the. That's I heard that, Jeff. That's the last of the uh, <laughs> air venture follow-ups I have on my list. Anything you guys want to touch on before we move on to? Uh, um, uh, no, it, it was a good show. Um, it, it was probably the, one of the, if not the best, one of the best I've attended at Oshkosh. Uh, I can't wait to do it again next year. Anybody listening to my voice, if you've never been to Oshkosh. Uh, I hope you know you you pick up at least a percentage, small percentage of the enthusiasm that we have, and then so many others who attended this year came away with also, and and make plans now to attend the 2010 edition. Uh, Fifty and a half weeks remaining until Oshkosh 2010. That's right. That's right. Okay, and 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 the dates are July 26 to August 1. Uh, there you go. And, and and we'll already be there when you show up, so be sure and wave when you see us. That's right. That's, That's right. right. Yeah. So we got a few little odds and ends here to kind of follow up the rest of our allotted time here. Um, these are just kind of some, some uh, stories that I came across, um, and I'd like to get your impression on them. This one, I, there's not really a story here. It just kind of caught my attention. Is it true that when they put together a TFR for the shuttle launch down there on the east coast of Florida, is it true that the TFR extends to 1 million feet AGL? I don't know if it's a million. I think it's 100,000. Still pretty high. Still pretty. Uh, is, is more than my is depth. That tip, I mean, is that unusual? I mean, are, are there TFRs that are basically unlimited, um, or, or do most of them top out at some big number? Most of them top that, out at eighteen thousand feet. Yeah, yeah. That, a, yeah. That, a, that some airplanes could top. Yeah. Um, the security TFRs okay. top out. The average security TFR will top out at eighteen thousand feet, where above which, of course, you're in Class A airspace and everything's right. controlled anyway. Uh, okay. You might Here, see some. Here's, here's one. The FAA has issued another new notice to airmen prohibiting flight operations in the vicinity of Cape Canaveral for Friday's rescheduled shuttle launch. See IFR and VFR graphics. The new NOTAM again expands the size of the no-fly area. Effective 2118. Uh, and this is for something that was uh, has already launched. It establishes a 30 nautical mile radius TFR no fly zone around the launch pad from the surface to flight level 180, with a less restrictive area between 30 and 40 nautical miles. No Part 91 GA, no VFR ops okay. within the 30 nautical mile range, while the 30 to 40 nautical mile area require communications with ATC. So now that I don't see anything in there about flight level one zero zero zero. Yeah. Okay. One eight zero. Yeah. Well, I um, I was looking at that because um, it was still being displayed on my three ninety six uh, coming back Sunday, and I happened to just run the cursor over it very quickly, and I don't know if it was a million or a hundred thousand, uh, but but there was a one followed by a bunch of zeros as the upper limit of the TFR. Um, I haven't read the, the textual uh, description on it. Um, but again, this was kind of left over. Um, um, you know, it's kind of a, a safety valve for the, uh, this, for the XM uh, displays on, uh, on uh, Garmin products where they'll, they'll kind of err on the side of caution and, and leave the TFR display on the map um, right. um, 
after, well, they'll bring it up before the TFR physically goes into effect and leave it up after it goes out of effect. So, um, I, again, I, I just I just don't have any more reference. Yeah. Anyways, I thought that was interesting. I, did, I guess it's not quite a million feet, but uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, given given the, the, the relatively small number of aircraft capable of flying above 510, Mm-hmm. And the even smaller number of aircraft capable of flying over six zero zero. All of which, by the way, are military. Unless there's something. I'm just going to say they're about. pretty much all accounted for now yeah. that we don't have Concord blasting around anymore. Yeah. White Knight uh, Two. I, I was would fly- think that that would just be really excessive. I believe White Knight oh. Two cruised up from Mojave to Air Venture at five two zero. I'm pretty sure. I'd that's like what we to were be saying. on board for that. Yeah, really. Yeah. Hey, I have to tell you that. Twenty feet. I have to say, okay, one more Oshkosh follow-up thing. Um, I am, I am this evening drinking my last Oshkosh Leinenkugels. Uh, I had bought oh, a couple of six-packs. Is that the one we packs. gave you? No, no. This is one that I. No, this is one that I didn't give you. As a matter of fact, um, I bought a. I bought a couple of six-packs at the beginning of the week and stashed them in my little mini fridge in my hotel room. And uh, I was parceling them out to people throughout the week. And at the end of the week, I had one left, and so I stashed it in my bag and brought it home and put it in my refrigerator. And I'm drinking it tonight in celebration and kind of remembrance of my week in Oshkosh, my ten days. I'm, I'm drinking my re- locally purchased Liney's Red uh, in memory of shows gone by. Here I was liking. I was liking this classic amber line and kugels that we were mm-hmm. drinking out there. I haven't yeah, come across that. Yeah, I like that. that I like that. Um, I, I don't know if I've seen that up here. I'm going to have to go looking and see if they uh, if they ship that stuff up here. But that that was well. There's there's a store here that I have not yet hit. That's supposed no to way. have a liquor store that you have been in. Number of beers. So. Okay, you have to report back to us. I, I, hey, listen, I, I'm just yeah. sitting here drink, sipping ice water. I, I don't okay. know what y'all are talking about. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Because you never do that kind of thing. I never um, do that. When people work on cars and they're getting ready to paint the car and they got to paint primer onto the car, uh, it is traditionally gray primer. That's the primer color that I am familiar with. Seems uh-huh. to me to be kind of a universal primer color when you're painting an automobile. But it an it automobile. seems. It seems that when we see airplanes that are painted with primer, they are uh, uh, painted green. All right, it's almost a almost a it's a thing. All right, it's you know the old about, zinc chromate, baby. Well, that's my question. That's right. Why are why are airplanes painted with even smaller airplanes? I've seen this too. All right, not just like you know seven thirty seven. Okay, Jack, here's ready. a quiz for you. Yeah. What's the primary sub- substance difference between aircraft structure and automobile structure? Uh, altitude. Da, 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 da. Ah, one's steel, generally one's aluminum, predominantly. Oh, okay. Boom, boom. Boom, boom. I see. Boom, boom. So the and, stuff. The and green primer uh, has aluminum, of course, has different uh, characteristics all over the place. One of which is it, you know, it doesn't rust, but it will corrode. Uh-huh. Right. Okay. And um, one of the th- ways you stop or, or help stop aluminum from corroding is uh, with the proper primer. And um, you know, generally, you get a sheet of, of aluminum from the, from the mill, and it's, it's going to have a, a, a cladding on both sides of it. Um, and that's uh, <clears throat> uh, to help prevent corrosion. Also, if you have unclad aluminum and you leave it out, it's going to, like, dematerialize. It's, gonna, um, it's just going to disappear after a while, especially down here in Florida. Um, so zinc chromate is kind of the coating of choice. 
um, for aluminum, uh, you'll see, uh, you know, if you see color pictures, for example, of any, you know, uh, certainly the later uh, uh, pictures anyway, of Sassner, Piper, Beechcraft, uh, Factories where they're making uh, aluminum airplanes, you'll see them come through, and they're all uh, they're all green. Yeah. Uh, that's the zinc chromate. Now, yeah. someone might ask, well, why is zinc chromate green? And I don't have an answer for that. Uh, well, that's zinc, the, of course, that's is the zinc. more of a yeah. Zinc is 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 kind of a. Um, um, uh, I've seen you know a lot of zinc plated parts for motorcycles are out there, and zinc is uh, in that form anyway more of a silvery colored metal. Um, yeah, it depends on the, what it's the, mixed with yeah, and what it's going the, on. Exactly. The, the chromate um, um, perhaps interferes with the zinc and, and gives it a green tinge. Uh, I suspect one of our listeners knows the real answer to this and will chime in with us, and uh, and we can answer this question more definitively. Uh, having said all of that, um, my understanding is zinc chromate is kind of like frowned upon by the EPA. And uh, um, so one of these days may go out of existence. There's a a different formulation for zinc chromate primer. It's a little bit yellower, a lot yellower, actually. It's it's more of a yellowish green. And uh, that's kind of the newest uh, 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 aviation slash aluminum primer out there. I kind of still prefer the green stuff. Well, and there's a a zinc-based etching primer, which is less green and it, it's a, like a greenish amber almost that is not friendly in its individual components. And then you mix it, uh, you, you spray the etching compound, then you mix the other stuff and spray it. Mm-hmm. But the aftermath is more apparently more environmental friendly. I know some home builders that have used it. Yeah. Uh, you got to be careful with the individual components, but the combined stuff uh, can only be... It, there's only a short period of time to use right. it, right. It's and, got a but then it's really superior because it actually etches into the metal surface in a right. way that uh, prevents there from being like a, a possibility of a, a, a layer that moisture could get between well, the, the, the plating and the you're, aluminum. You're talking about Aladine, I think, is the trade name for it. And no, no, this is a di- this is a different stuff, but it's very similar. Okay, okay. Aladine basically. Um, is, is a self. It, it's yeah, basically a self etching primer. Yeah. Uh, what it does is it attacks that cladding that's on the aluminum, and and removes it chemically, uh, exposing the bare bare aluminum underneath it, uh, and then you know it's washed off with water, the the surface is dried and then immediately painted because it will corrode if it's not painted soon, yeah. and that's how they that's basically how they paint aluminum airplanes these days. Um, uh, it gets a little bit more involved, and, and again, I'm sure someone with more experience and knowledge on this would, would be happy to chime in, and we yeah. would welcome. Keep that. an eye on the forums for that. But they, yeah. they, hence the term, we delivered the airplane green, and after it came out of the uh, completion shop, boy, it right. shined like a star. Yeah, right. yeah. We actually talked about this in a very, very early episode. We talked about the green 737s that uh, mm-hmm. were being produced, and uh, oh, anyways. yeah, like the BBJ. Exactly. Exactly. Right. In, you know, uh, in green. And I naively thought that that was because they were environmentally friendly, but you corrected me. No, um, it's because they <clears throat> they're 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 virgin airplanes. <laughs> okay. 
Um, I'm sh- uh, so I'm chatting with uh, someone at uh, at AirVenture last week, and uh, we're talking about you know lots of different airplanes, and the subject of air coupes came up. Now, an air coupe is kind of a semi-legendary little airplane, two seats, I believe. Um, it's distinctive for being yes. kind of having twin tails, and it's it's an air coupe, all right. Um, right. And and they're they're sort of famous for when they were first introduced uh, of having no rudder pedals that there was an interconnect between the yoke and the rudders such that you did not need to worry about coordinating the in your you know the c- controls during your turns um, and I was under the impression that not only did the later models not have this interconnect and did in fact have rudder pedals I was under the impression that all air coupes had been retrofitted to have rudder pedals and this person was telling me no, that there no, are no, no, still no. there are still air coupes out there with no rudder pedals yes. majority true, i would i would guess yeah. a majority uh-huh. there is yeah. a majority. there is a way to, there, there was an STC developed uh to put rudder pedals in them uh, one of the many companies that handled them, I believe, tried equipping them with rudder pedals with the idea that they might attract more business, but they didn't build many airplanes. Right, right. Interesting. And the air the air coupe has been through kind of like Mooney. Well, not 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 close to Mooney, but the air coupe had had been through several owners before it was eventually discontinued. Um, and I. I you know, again, someone with a little bit more knowledge and background on air coupes could could certainly correct us. But uh, um, it's my understanding that all of them uh, were made without rudder pedals and with the interconnects, um, and that later on in aftermarket STC fashion, rudder pedal the disconnect was removed and rudder pedals were installed. Right. Um, here, it, today's trivia question: Why was the air coupe designed that way? Oh. Ooh. I, I always just it was just a marketing thing I thought but apparently not what what why so we could you tune in next week for to episode 149 well, for the answer so you could so you couldn't spin it oh so okay spin. I see shucks I see. man I wanted Is, people to have a week to chime in yeah oh. did uh did, do many airplanes? Um, um, Jonathan, a Navion pilot, was telling us that uh-huh. uh, the Navions uh-huh. have a, a what appears to me to be a sort of partial interconnect. Uh, All the Bonanzas the are rudder. interconnected. There's an they interconnect are. between that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, there's there's a number of airplanes that have interconnects. They still have rudder pedals. Right. But the interconnect was there to make it easier for the pilot to carve a coordinated turn right. without rudder pedal input. Mm-hmm. And and harder to make a crosswind landing. Right, right. Yeah. Yeah. Avweb got in trouble, or it wasn't Av? Maybe it was. I think it was a consumer. Got in trouble a couple, maybe a year or so ago, by printing something to the effect that a landing a lair, an air coupe in a crosswind is like throwing a dead donkey out of the back of a pickup truck. <laughs> uh, <laughs> which, nothing like a gross generalization to screw up your. Day. Which. Um, yeah, which which riled up a few air coupe aficionados, and and we had fun with that. Everybody, everybody had fun with that. You could do a stick one arm out the window on the opposite side. Well, that yeah. should work in, in, in most situations. <laughs> but you might need that arm for, you know, yoke and throttle and stuff. So, you know, uh, third eye blind the and only, all that. You only need one, and the only pedal down there is for the one brake. You know, that's the one brake pedal. That's right. So that's right. you got knees and, and toes free. You can use your hands for a lot of other stuff, as Jessica well, exactly. Cox proved, because she's got yeah, no you just hands. Put your beer, you put your beer down in the cup holder and get with the program. <laughs> <laughs> <You know. laughs> 
The one thing so a I couple... loved about my first air coupe ride was when the guy flying me around said, slide down the canopy. And I said, slid mm-hmm. down the canopy. And he goes, okay, now take your left arm, raise it up, and lay your elbow on the windowsill. Okay. And immediately, now, grab, and you immediately grab, lost five knots. Well, I grabbed. The, <laughs> he said, "Now grab the wheel," and he did the same. And he said, "As long as both of our elbows are out, it'll fly straight." <laughs> so, uh, a bunch of episodes ago, maybe a month or so ago, uh, we were talking on the podcast um, uh, on the uh, the occasion of the uh, anniversary fortieth, I believe, of the uh, Apollo eleven landings on the moon, and. Uh, we were reminiscing based on our recollection of uh, those those flights. And one of the things that at least I remember, and I think at least one of you guys remembered as well, was um, the quarantine steps that they took to uh, to protect Earth from any germs that the those initial uh, astronauts might have brought back from the moon. And I remembered um, a plastic tunnel. I remembered that they did not get out of the command module, that the command module was hoisted onto the deck of the aircraft carrier, that there was a plastic tunnel that connected the command module to this special Airstream quarantine trailer, and they went through the tunnel. Listeners, um, Frank and Linda Hugelman uh, sent us an email uh, setting us straight here, uh, at least, and, and, and I'm confused because I clearly remember this tunnel as a matter of fact, I see the tunnel in the picture. Um, they included some pictures, um, and uh, what they write, uh, to paraphrase them, uh, is that the, the way the, the quarantine procedures actually went was that, um, that the Navy frogmen or whoever, who were the first ones to the floating command module, um, um, opened the door long enough to throw in these isolation outfits, which they, the astronauts then changed into in the command module. Then um, they were then hoisted out into the helicopter in the these quarantine outfits, um, and that they walked from the a very short distance from the helicopter uh, to the uh, to the airstream, and, and that's a picture that uh, that they have included here. Um, there, I do see a plastic uh, a plastic tunnel uh, in the picture, but apparently they didn't use it, or maybe that's what maybe there were plans to use it, and then they changed their minds or something like that. Maybe that's my recollection of it here. But uh, but we thank uh, we thank uh, Frank and Linda for setting us straight on this. Uh, there was a report this. that if they stepped into the tr- plastic tunnel, they would go back in time. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So they 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 avoided that. Uh, we also. We also wondered what became of the Airstream trailer, and uh, listener Scott Bass wrote to us uh, saying that uh, the Airstream tra- trailer, the uh, the mobile mobile quarantine facility from Apollo 11, um, is there in Northern Virginia. It's at the uh, Udvar Heise Center for the Air and Space Museum at uh, at uh, Dulles, right? And uh, so apparently That's you correct. can go, yes, and, go and actually see that uh, trailer uh, in the museum there, and that would be kind of cool. So uh, that would be we th- cool, yeah. we thank our listeners for uh, filling us in on this stuff that's great and uh, and, and for uh, setting us straight because remember yeah. this is a hangar flying podcast research uh well we try to know <laughs> what? what we say but what whenever there's lining kugels involved or with jeb's case water yeah water you never know what might come out rough stuff yeah, yeah. one last thing before you we run out of our a lot of time here you don't know what i have in the water there <laughs> uh, shout outs what do we got here I got a bunch but uh, what do you guys got I, I got one go ahead well let me start with some of mine first of all um, a shout out to all of our listeners um, we don't like to make a big big deal about this kind of thing but I would be remiss in not thanking people um, 
our audience has been growing nicely for for through, through the entire life of the podcast, and I'm pleased to say that July, uh, this past July, was the uh, biggest month ever for uh, uncontrolled airspace, both in terms of downloads of the podcast and also tip jar donations. And uh, and I just can't say how much I appreciate the fact that people listen to us and that you send along a little bit to help with the hosting fees and whatnot. So that's that's very very nice. Uh, just a big big thank you to all of our listeners. Um, you guys want to add anything to that or? No, uh, I just uh, want to well, thank everybody be... that came up to us at Oshkosh, mm-hmm. introduced themselves, uh, you know, e- expressed to us what their individual uh, feelings were about the podcast, whether they'd listened to us to get their student or sport or private pilot license or whether they'd been pilots and, and listened to us for the grins and giggles. Uh, it was very gratifying uh, and uh, it, uh, kind, kind of hard to soak all of it up. Just yeah. very foreign to yeah. me. Yeah. Jeb, yeah. go ahead. Um, no, I was just going to say uh, what you said, uh, uh, quote unquote. But uh, it, it, I've said this before. I'm going to say it one more time. It is it is very humbling, uh, but very warming, and uh, uh, instills you know that much more responsibility or a, a sense of responsibility <laughs> to the extent that we're responsible here. Uh, uh, in in I a, think that's certain, the first time in uncontrolled space air. Here's uncontrolled airspace history. You heard the word responsibility in it, but that's right. But, moving but on. You know, we, we, it, it reinforces that we we do have a listener base. It reinforces that we do have a responsibility. Okay. Uh, um, if for, if no other responsibility than just do this once a week and, and throw it out there and and uh, uh, let everybody comment and react as they would, but um, um, it's very humbling. It's very much appreciated. And uh, you, you folks keep doing it, and uh, we'll keep holding up our end. Yeah. Thank you. Amen. Jeb, you said you had a shout-out? I do. Um, I ran at Oshkosh. I ran into a guy named Tony Goldish. I believe I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Um, we, we ran into each other, uh, or, or got to talking to each other, standing in front of the Bendix King display at, at one of the hangars, looking at the new Aviator Ace which is the, um, uh, I guess, Bendix King's uh, uh, response to the Garmin 696. And we were standing there pushing buttons and, and comparing notes on, on both the Ace and the 696 and, and other Garmin and other portable products and whatnot. And just got to talking and discover he's from Florida and, um, uh, and actually is based at Spruce Creek, uh, which is probably the most Very well-known cool. air, yeah, well, most well-known air park in the world, actually. And I told, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm in Hidden River and yada yada yada, and um, so t- today I got an email from him, you know, I, uh, say, hey, I, you know, I enjoyed seeing you, and da 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 da, come on over to Spruce Creek anytime you're ready, and and uh, you know, we'll get together, have, have lunch or something like that. So uh, I am going to take up uh, um, Tony on that offer. And uh, I will report back. It won't be anytime real near, real soon, because I've just got a full plate here and through uh, uh, the next month or so. But uh, I even picked up a jury summons when I got back. That just that just made my day. But uh, um, um, thanks again to Tony for remembering and for and for the note. And uh, we will see each other again. 
Very cool. Very cool. Hey, I want to send a shout out to uh, to Dave Hamilton of the uh, Mac Observer website and the uh, Mac Geek Gab podcast. Uh, normally, don't talk. Say about that this. again three times. Yeah, no, I was very careful Mac to say Gab it once. Podcast. Mac Geek Gab podcast. Uh, so this is a very very popular, uh, very cool uh, Macintosh podcast. Uh, and uh, Dave Hamilton is uh, sort of a neighbor of mine up here. Um, he lives in the next town over, and we kind of cross paths from time to time in uh, various uh, computer activities up here in uh, Seacoast, New Hampshire. Um, Dave is not a pilot, but he, uh, he's, he's, he's got the bug, all right? And one of these days, we're actually going to get him started uh, with, his, with flying lessons. But uh, recently, he had occasion to ride along in the back seat. His brother, I believe it was, apparently got a, a demo ride as a gift uh, and, uh, and invited Dave to go along in a, in a 172 and ride in the back seat. So Dave was all excited. And, and on a recent episode of their podcast, uh, episode 211 of the Mac Geek Gab podcast, um, Dave spends the first seven or so minutes of the podcast describing his uh, flying adventure, and that was kind of a cool story. But the thing that really kind of caught my attention was, uh, and I'd heard about this through Twitter, Apparently, to prepare himself for the flight on the drive from New Hampshire down to Connecticut, um, he was listening to episodes of Uncontrolled Airspace. And uh, and at the end of telling the story in the podcast, um, he was joking about the fact that they were spending all this time in a, t- in, a, in a Macintosh podcast talking about airplanes. And so he alluded to the fact that in Uncontrolled Airspace, we talk about weather a lot. And he started to say, but I'm not Jack Hodgson. I've got to, we've got to make this into a, into a uh, computer podcast. But he, he did a nice little shout-out to us <laughs> and gave us a nice little plug and... And uh, and we appreciate that. And uh, well, if, thank you, Dave. Yeah, and if you yeah, are absolutely. a uh, if you are a, a Macintosh user uh, and are into the uh, the very highly technical end of using your Macintosh computer, I urge you to uh, give a listen to uh, the Macintosh the Mac Geek Gab podcast and the Mac Observer website and listen into Dave Hamilton and his partner John Braun, uh, who uh, do an excellent job over there. And uh, Dave, we got to get you flying. We got to get you uh, started with yeah. your pilot lessons. And do we know? Where he's based? Uh, he doesn't have a home in terms of airports. He doesn't have a base. He lives right in the next town over from me here in New Hampshire. Oh, okay. So. Never, never mind then. Yeah. So uh, we're, we're, I'm working on it. We're going to get him going eventually. So uh, uh-huh. that's my shout out. I got one more, but do you, David, do you have something? <laughs> yeah, real quick and dirty. Uh, first off, to all the folks we saw at Oshkosh. Second, to my new I've never met friend, Alex, who works for one of my clients, World Aircraft Sales who was uh, uh, dragged along by his boss, Patty O'Casey, good Irish gentleman. I was going to say, that's, to, a, that's a good Episcopalian name. Uh, <laughs> yes, and Patty is a good Irish gentleman. Uh, Alex came to Oshkosh, to Air Venture. He's not a pilot. He's not an aviation person. He's been working uh, uh, for this aviation publication. And he gets dragged to Oshkosh, and oh my God, did he get the bug. Good for mm-hmm. uh, he got a ride in a Cirrus down towards Chicago and back again. He got to see what it looks like from the air, what it looks like sitting in the in the cockpit. Uh, now he wants to learn to fly. He wants to get lessons. And I've told him the smart thing to do is to come here to the United States on a long extended holiday, like six weeks, because for less than he'll spend at home, he can pay for the trip over here, pay for the lessons, get his ticket, spend meals, hotel room, and go back home to England, a freshly minted private pilot. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I want to do everything I can to encourage Alex to become another addict. 
<laughs> you will be assimilated. That's right. That's right. Hey, finally, um, uh, a year ago on this podcast, uh, at our second Oshkosh episode last summer, um, I, I said I wanted a brick. I wanted. Um, <laughs> we were we were we were anticipating the uh, destruction of the old FAA control tower at Air Venture, and I wanted a souvenir. I wanted a memento to help me remember this uh, tower, which uh, ha- you know, for a lot of different reasons, is is uh, something that's very fond to me. And uh, and it looked for a long time like there wasn't going to be a way for me to get a brick for me to uh, remember this tower by. Um, a couple months ago, I started to hear rumblings from some friends that maybe they uh, had. Uh, work something out for me and uh, and I met up with these friends uh, in Oshkosh and uh, was presented with not one but two bricks and I believe you guys also uh, these same people presented you with some souvenir bricks I, I'm, I'm looking at mine as I speak and uh, I and uh, this may seem like a silly little thing but I it's a very very it's I, yeah. I really am pleased about this uh, and uh-huh. uh, this is something when I you know someone said what are you gonna do with it and I said well one of these days I'm gonna have a hanger and I'm gonna build a little shrine mm-hmm. all right a little mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, probably with a picture of the old tower, and uh, this is th- that tower was a landmark. That tower was the was the you know was a touchstone for all of us over the years. You know, you'd meet at the tower, you'd uh, meet relative yeah. to the tower, north of the tower, south of the tower. The tower was a big deal. It was a big part of the uh, of the the grounds. And uh, our office at AirVenture today was just north of the tower. Right. You can't miss us. And we had a heck of a time describing to people where we were this year because the tower's gone. Anyways, um, we got our. Yeah, bricks. you remember where the tower? used to be. That's right, yeah. Well, squ- squint your eyes very tightly and then turn left and there we are. Special sunglasses, only sixty nine ninety five. Squint your eyes, blink twice, turn around and you will see. That's right. So we got our bricks, and for uh, for for odd reasons, uh, we are we've promised not to reveal who we got them from. Um, um, but you guys know who you are, and we thank you uh, from the bottom of my heart, anyways. And and uh, mine also. It's 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 a very warm gesture, very much appreciated. Um, and uh, we we will all, I think, make good use of them. You will not see them on eBay. No, 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 no. I want them. No, 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 no. no, no. I want them. Uh, Any more? And, and we're staying as thick as a brick. That's right. Any last <laughs> shout-outs? Anything more? Um, yeah, stick a fork in it. Okay. Hey, uh, Dave Higdon is uh, an aviation photographer, also an aviation journalist, and the U.S. editor for London's World Aircraft Sales Magazine. David, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, avbuyer.com, davehigdon.biz, aviationsafety.com, aea.net, or at the Stick and Rudder Club or Hangar Bar from time to time. Internet, Dave, Internet. Where can they find you on the Internet? Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) And Jeb Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. Jeb, where can people find you on the Internet? On the internet, on the internet, on you the can internet. find me uh, at uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com, which is my We're, day job. We, we are not faster than Bill Curtis on the internet. That's right. That's right. Um, and of course, he's not as fast as he thinks he is, so that's okay. But um, <laughs> uh, aviationsafetymagazine.com be my day job. Uh, my personal website is jeburnside.com. Uh, and one of these days, I might even get some updated material up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I even pop up on AvWeb every now and then. And uh, uh, for a couple of days in early September, you can probably find me in a Sarasota County jury box. <laughs> okay. 
just stay on the right side of the of the fence there. Uh, yeah, jury box, jury <laughs> box, not the defendant box. And I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. You can learn more about me, me at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. I should mention that uh, I've been been pointing people to aroundthefield.net for uh, many, many, many months now, um, and there wasn't very much there. Um, I've recently started doing aviation blogging over there uh, on a semi-regular basis. So uh, if you haven't looked at aroundthefield.net in a while, you might want to take a peek, and uh, and uh, maybe there might be some new new material there. Hey, we want to send out a big thanks to uh, Jeff Ward for creating our show notes. That's ScoffreeJet in the uh, forums. If you're in there and you see him, say thanks. Also, thanks to uh, Mike Morgan and Royce Earl, and also to the many other listeners who have created the show opening disclaimer clips that we use uh, each week. We are also very grateful for the financial support we receive from our listeners. For information on how you can make a donation to this podcast, see the Uncontrolled Airspace homepage and the box in the right-hand column labeled Tip Jar. It doesn't need to be very much. Just 5 or $10 over the span of a year is a big help. And also don't forget that you can visit with us all at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog, view the forums, check out the wiki, the aviation movies list, and more. All of that is at uncontrolledairspace.com. David, what were you going to say? Live longer. Go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. That's right. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. TTFM. <laughs>